My own child is going to be jealous when he finds out you guys are all trying to steal me as a dad. Um, however, since I now have inherited 900 children, you better get me an awesome Father's Day gift. So, uh, if you got a Bible, go to Jonah chapter one. We're gonna pick up from verse 11. Uh, as you get there, let me tell a story. So, I, uh, I, I just celebrated my 10 year wedding anniversary. Uh, yeah. And so, exactly 10 years ago, in April, I went on my first kind of work trip away from my wife. And so there's this all kind of melancholy, like, you're not going with me, I'm not gonna be with you. I was going to Atlanta. Um, and one thing that you need to know about me is, though I'm on a stage having conversation with you, uh, I, I'm, I'm more introverted than not. And so like when I get on an airplane, I actually don't really wanna to talk to people. Uh, and some of you are like, yes. And so there are certain signals that you give people that are like, hey, you know, I don't wanna to talk to you. Like massive headphones. Not little AirPods, not in like, like the massive ones that's like, you can barely see my head because my, my headphones are so big. That means I don't wanna have a conversation. And so I was getting ready to go to Atlanta and I was going to sit in the back of, I was going to sit in the back of the plane because I had a mentor that told me, he said, hey, you know what? I've never seen a plane back into a mountain. It's probably the safest place that you could sit. And so it was a Southwest flight. I could pick my seat. I went and sat down and this lady sat next to me and I'm like, all right. And she had like the, this bag of like orange candy and like she's eating it and sharing it with me. And I'm like, okay, well, this could be good. And so she, then all of a sudden she puts her bag down and she's like, hey, what are you going to Atlanta for? I was like, I'm going for a work trip. What do you do? Well, I, I'm, I'm in ministry and it's actually a children's ministry conference. Uh, and she's like, oh. And so she's like, let me talk to you about my eight-year-old. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like this is not mobile counseling. And so she like goes into all these things about her eight-year-old and how she's really worried about him and all these things. And like, I just tried to relate. I'm like, I did some of those things when I was eight. I'm sure your kid's gonna be fine. She's like, so you say my kid's gonna grow up and be a pastor? No, I'm not. I don't, I don't know anything about your kid. And in fact, I will give you back the orange candy that I just ate if I could get out of this conversation. And so the plane takes off and quickly she falls asleep and I'm like, Lord, you do love me. And then 40 minutes into the flight, we hit a little bit of turbulence. And the pilot comes on and says, hey, we've got a little bit of turbulence. It's not a big deal. We'll, we'll navigate it, but just make sure that your seatbelt stays on. But when he came on the intercom, it woke her up and she heard what he said. And she's sitting in the back and after he gets done, she's like, hey everybody, it's okay. I'm sitting next to a pastor. And I'm like, if somebody would hand me a parachute right now, but the reason we laugh about that is there's this assumption in her mind that because I love Jesus, that some way in a dangerous situation, I'm valuable to her. And the interesting thing about reading the story of Jonah is there should be an assumption here that because he knows the God who is the master of the sea and the land, that those who are on the boat with him are like, man, you should be able to go before God for us and help us in this situation. And he doesn't. He's not meeting expectations. But in the middle of that, as we continue to read and hear this morning, while Jonah doesn't live up to expectations, the Lord always exceeds those expectations. And so as we read through our text, we're gonna see two things. We're gonna see this, this picture of the Lord doing something in the life of these Gentile uh, sea mariners who like, begin to follow the Lord in a way that Jonah isn't willing to do. And then the next thing that we're going to see is that as Jonah continues to descend from disobedience into indifference, that he's going to descend all the way down to his rock bottom where he finds the Lord's mercy and grace, and the Lord's going to exceed our expectations there as well. 
And so uh, starting in verse 11, it says this. Then they said to me, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. They could not, and for, uh, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And we'll, we'll jump into verse 17 here in just a second. But I want to I take a moment and, and walk through what we just read. So again, yesterday, the Lord was sending Jonah to Nineveh, and we asked the question, where is Nineveh for us as we think through this? And, and I hope that even in your time, in your groups, in your rooms last night, that you had great conversations about how you're wrestling through that and, and what you came for and what you're asking the Lord to do. And Jonah denies hearing what the Lord called him into and says, instead, I'm going to run to Tarshish. And so he jumps on a boat, buys a ticket, goes to Tarshish, is sleeping in the bottom of the boat while this boat is being rocked by the wind and the waves that the Lord had sent against it. These men finally get him to wake up, begin to ask him questions about who he is, what does he do, what does he worship? And he answers some of the qu those questions. He says where he's from, he says who he worships, and then he tells them that he's running from the presence of God. And so when we pick up our story, he sa they say, what should we do with you then? And Jonah's response is, you should just throw me into the sea. Now, what I want you to see is that Jonah's not being heroic here. Like Jonah's not being like, you know what, guys, I'm the problem. Let me own that it's my fault that I'm causing this against you. I think that's more of a situation of, I don't want to have to deal with what the Lord's asking me to do. And I'd rather be dead than to go help those Ninevites. Because you know who doesn't get helped if Jonah drowns in the bottom of the sea? Nineveh. They never get to hear the message of God's mercy. They never get to hear that sin deserves God's wrath. They don't get to hear anything. They just get to be destroyed. And so Jonah's almost in this place where he said, I would rather be taken out than have any mercy towards them. That's strange to me for somebody who's just said, I fear the Lord who rules the sea and the land. Like, it's, it's strange to me that he would rather be swallowed up by the sea than just turn around and repent to the Lord. But then here's what's interesting is that while he is not living out what's faithful, we watch these sailors do something that's incredible. Because if I'm on a boat with you and I find out that you're the reason that the seas and the winds are going crazy and you're like, throw me off the boat, like you'd be like, throw me off and you'd already be hitting the water. Like I would, you wouldn't have to finish the phrase. Because Jonah, you deserve this. But instead, they say, we're not doing that. And they begin to row as hard as they possibly can to get back to dry land because they don't want to throw him over. They don't want to sell him out for their own benefit. Rewind, he was willing to sell them out for his own benefit. He was willing to sleep on the bottom of the boat and not care about what was going to happen to them so that way he could get away from what the Lord was calling him to. And they say, no, we're willing to try and fight against this thing to try and keep you alive. And then... When they realize that they can't outmaneuver the wind and the waves that the Lord controls, they begin to pray. And I think it's interesting because the way that they pray is really important. And so when you read your Bible, you'll see oftentimes uh, that there, when it says the Lord, uh, it's in all caps. 
That is not because the printers of the Bible got caps lock stuck and they just left it. It actually means something. It's the way that we, in our modern language, translate the covenant name of God, which is Yahweh. So here's where that comes from. Uh, If you know the story of Exodus or have seen the Prince of Egypt, um, Moses is wandering in the wilderness because he has killed an Egyptian and he's now living out in Midian. And he's wandering and he sees this burning bush and the Lord says, hey, I'm sending you back to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses is like, well, there's some issues. I stutter, I don't have that much authority um, and, and nobody's gonna believe me. And so he says, so, so tell me who you are. And the Lord's response is, I am. Which is not really helpful, right? Right, like, hey, whose credibility are you op- operating on? He told me his name is I am. I am what? But it may, I have Sam, I am. But there's this thing to the I amness of God. It's this present tense, this fully complete, that I am what I say I am, that I am loving, that I am sovereign, that I am powerful, that I am faithful, that I am able to do all that I said that I'm able to do. And so this covenant name, Yahweh, was not just like, hey, there's this God, this man upstairs. It was, I personally know him by, my, by his name. And so the psalmist would later on say that, man, I, I, I trust the Lord because I know his name. And so these sailors who at the start of the story were like, hey, who is it that you pray to? Would you ask the God, that, that thing that you, uh, that you kind of put your confidence in, would you go towards him? Now they're praying the covenant name of God that is the name of people that know him. And they're saying, Lord, don't count this man's blood against us. Like we're, we don't have any other alternatives. We're trying to do the best that we can do. And so you sovereign Lord over the wind and the seas, you who are who you say that you are, would you forgive us for what we're about to do? And so we've got this moment that these guys are praying prayers as if they followed after God or that they want to follow after God. And the only thing that they've seen is a really broken version of a follower of the Lord. And yet the Lord still decides that he's going to save them. And so then they throw him into the sea. And it says that the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and when they got back to dry land, they weren't like, man, glad we got rid of Jonah, that dude was dead weight, no pun intended. They go and they worship. They go and they make sacrifices unto the Lord to say, hey, we wanna make sure that we're in the right position with you. And so these guys have gone from, we don't know if you exist, to being people that follow and worship the Lord, and all they got to see was Jonah running from him. It's as if to say, the Lord has the power to save even if we're not faithful in the process. And I think that's really important to us because the Lord's exceeding expectations here, and then even though Jonah's not meeting them. Jonah is trying to be cowardly and self-interested and would rather die than to speak the message of the Lord's grace, not just to Nineveh, but even to these Gentiles that are around him. Because what he could have said is, what you need to do in this moment is turn your hearts to the Lord, and then because of me, I own my sin, you should throw me over to save yourselves. He didn't say any of that. He's like, just throw me over. He doesn't meet the criteria at all, and the Lord still meets these mariners and changes who they are and who they follow the Lord's exceeding expectations. But then not only does the Lord exceed expectations, but he shows us this picture of where salvation comes from. And so verse 17 would say this, 
And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. You heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up. You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you and into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope for, of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what, I've, what I vowed I would pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. A little gross, but take salvation however I can get it. And so here's, what I, here's something that I don't want you to miss. Verse, verse 17 would say, and the Lord appointed a great fish, and the fish showed up and swallowed Jonah. If we backed up to like verse four or five, it says that the Lord hurled the wind and, and, and stirred the waves. And it feels like we keep seeing this picture of the sovereign power of God that when he commands something to do something, it works. And the only thing that's not meeting expectations right now is Jonah. Because the book started with, and the Lord said to Jonah, I'm sending you. And Jonah said, I'm not going to do it. Tomorrow we'll see in chapter three, he finally does. But this feels like it's all part of the Lord's plan. And so he gets thrown into the water and he's sinking. He gets swallowed by this fish. And in the middle of that, it's interesting to me because he begins to pray. I don't know about you, but I don't think that I've ever thought, you know where I want to have a, like just a, Mmm, like the Lord and me are close in the belly of a fish. Like real talk, I don't, I don't like seafood. I don't like the smell of fish. And so some of you are like troubled by that. Like I can have preferences, it's okay. And so like maybe not just the belly of the fish, but it's interesting that he had to make, make it all the way to rock bottom. Like it didn't get worse than that. Like there are a lot of bad situations, but you are in the digestive track of a fish. And this is when he finally gets a moment of clarity of, I should pray. Not in the boat when he was taking a nap, not when the Lord spoke something to him that didn't make sense to him. Like he got all the way to rock bottom and then he decides I'm gonna cry out to the Lord. Here's the other thing. Um, when you read your Bible, it looks like the text shifted from being block text to being um, these kind of centered lines. And that's the, the Bible's way of telling you that we've moved from just giving you narrative to something that's uh, a little bit more emotional, like it's poetry. And you get that, right? And so like if you want to impress that guy or that girl, you don't just like read them facts. Like, I like you because you are five foot one and your hair is kind of yellow. And like, like, if that was your game plan for your camp relationship this week, that's not going to hit. But when you're really trying to impress somebody, you use poetry 
or songs. Like you use something that expresses the emotion of what you feel. And so the reason I'm telling you that is this is not just Jonah saying some words. This is Jonah feeling the weight of what's going on and expressing his emotions to the Lord, saying, I realize where I'm at and I'm, I'm calling out to you in prayer for you to rescue me. And he actually uses this language of seeing the fish swallowing him as being the Lord's rescue for him. Now, I want to pull apart what he prays because I think it's really interesting because there's actually a pattern to it. So let me define some things for you. Um, it, it used this word Sheol. Sheol is actually the Old Testament's way of talking about death or separation from God because of the end of your life. Um, it would be analogous if you're into Greek mythology of, of Hades. It's this idea of this is where you go after death. And then water in the scriptures is not just water. It's not just for drinking and bathing. It is actually a sign of judgment. So let me prove it. Uh, if you read Genesis chapter 6, there's the story of a man named Noah. And the world has become so exceedingly sinful that the Lord decides that he is going to wipe it clean and judge it. And the way that he does that is by... Um, we talked a little bit about the book of Exodus and we talked about how Moses um, was supposed to go back and, and, let, and ask the Lord to let, uh, or ask Pharaoh to let the Lord's people go. And as he does that, um, there are multiple plagues, but the final reckoning for all of the power of Egypt is that the Israelites walk through on dry ground, but when it comes time for there to be judgment for Egypt, what happens? They get swallowed up by water. Even if you read in the Psalms, that oftentimes the psalmist will talk about, Lord, would you rescue me from my sin? I feel like it's come around me like waves crushing me. There's this idea that water is this level of judgment. You can go all the way back to the start of the Bible when the world lacked its form. It was the spirit of God hovering over the chaos of the waters. And so water is always this picture of chaotic judgment. And so now he's saying, I've, I feel like I've died I've entered into your judgment, and then he starts using this, and I feel like you're far from me, and now I feel like you've abandoned me. And then he walks backwards, that I feel like I've been judged, and I feel like the de death is my judgment. And so he's descending deeper into his own despair. That it's not just that I've been thrown into this water, because I thought that getting thrown in the water that I would be off the hook. That if I get thrown into the water, that all of this is over, your call for me is done. I don't have to worry about Nineveh. I don't have to worry about any of this. But he's like, I descended into what feels like death. And now I feel like I'm feeling your judgment. Now here's what your judgment is, that you're far from me. Can I just tell you the scariest thing that you could ever experience is feeling like the Lord has turned his back on you. That... People say things like, and maybe you've heard it over the last couple of years because we've been dealing with this roller coaster of COVID. Man, this feels like hell on earth. You will never feel hell on earth because as long as you're on earth, you have the opportunity to feel the presence of the Lord. And so not to say that whatever they're experiencing is not bad, but in the Bible's idea, the worst thing that could happen to you is that you could be completely separated from God. This is why even when they would pray and they would bless the Lord, they would say things like, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he turn his face towards you. That's this idea of you've got his attention. He hasn't abandoned you. When Mary sings after she finds out that she's going to be having the baby Jesus, one of the things is that you would turn your face to the direction of this weak, unimportant woman, that you would pay attention to me, that you haven't abandoned me. 
That this is what Paul would say in Romans, that the worst thing that could happen to you is not that that the Lord judges you for your sin. That's actually a kindness from the Lord. But it's that he would just give you over to your sin and say, you want that? You can have that, but you don't get me. And Jonah's saying, I thought that it was going to be better that I got thrown in the water, but it's not. Because now I feel the judgment of being separated from you. Let's have a real conversation. He wasn't separated from the presence of the Lord because the Lord appointed the fish to swallow him up, to wake him up. But sometimes the Lord in his mercy will allow you to actively feel his wrath against you to wake you up as opposed to passively feeling his wrath against you and feeling like he doesn't want to have anything to do with you at all. Some of you are like, I, what? Um, I, I talked about my son. He's four, going on 45. Uh, and, and so one of the most loving things I can do is correct him. So he, he doesn't fully understand how cars and traffic work. And so if we're outside playing and he sees a car coming, Sometimes he's like, oh, it's a car. And I'll be like, hey, buddy, don't run out the street because if you hit the car, he'll be like, the car will crash into me and I'll hurt the car. I'm like, calm down, Hulk. That's not actually how that works. But here's the thing. What would be the most loving thing? You know what, buddy? You really want to run out into the street, so I'm going to let you do that. Like, none of you would yell, Mike is my dad, if you knew that that was my parenting style. Because there would be this reality that it would, be, that it would be unloving and dangerous to let him continue to run towards something that's going to destroy him. And so I'm screaming, I'm scooping up, I'm grabbing him and rolling him out of the way. And it might feel like I'm jostling him in a way that he doesn't like, or it might feel like the tone of my voice is harsh, but I'm willing to engage that way because I don't want him to be succumbed to the danger that's in front of him. And so there's this mercy that comes from God, and this mercy comes often through this picture of judgment that it feels like at times, man, why is the, why is the Lord being hard on me right now? Because he loves you more than allowing you to be destroyed by your sin. But then I'll take it a step further because Jonah's problem is that Jonah has to be his own, he has to walk through the process himself. Here's what you get. You don't get Jonah, you get Jesus. And so here's how Jesus saved you, that instead of you walking through the full penalty of your sin, that Jesus received the penalty of your sin. So my favorite text in the entire Bible is 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He who knew no sin, Jesus, that he took on your sin, that you might be called the righteousness of God in him. Here's what that means, that Jesus, who didn't deserve any wrath from God, took the wrath of God that you deserve so that way you could get the status that he had. So let me put it in more contemporary terms. Um, how many of you have dreams of going to college? I'm going to tell you, college is expensive. And so imagine, like most people, the way that you go to college is that you've got to apply for student loans. And so student loans could cost, depending on whatever your school is, by the time you finish your education, anywhere from $100,000 to uh, maybe multiple times that. So after your first semester, you've got this bill for, you know, $50,000 that you can't pay. So first of all, you got a debt that you can't pay. But on top of that, you ain't got no money to pay for your next semester of classes either. And it would be kind if somebody with a big checkbook said, hey, I'm going to pay off that $50,000 that you owe. 
But the problem is you still couldn't pay for your next semester, so you still can't get your education unless you take out more loans. But if somebody said, hey, I'm not just gonna pay for the debt that you owe, I'm also gonna pay for the rest of your education for as long as you wanna go to school. Now you've been given a gift. And what Jesus has done for you on the cross is not just that he paid the debt that you owe. He didn't just cover all the sins that you've done, but he's provided righteousness and right relationship with God to help you through all the debt that's coming. And so in this picture, you're not Jonah sitting there saying, I've descended into death. I feel judgment. I feel abandoned by you. And I don't know how to get out of this. You get to say, I have a debt that I can't pay. And I should be judged and abandoned by you. But Jesus has paid it all that you can now walk with the Lord. And so it makes sense that Jonah's next statement would be, salvation belongs to the Lord. Uh, If you counted the words in the book of Jonah, I don't know why you would want to do that, but smart people do these things. The exact center of the book is that phrase, salvation belongs to the Lord. As if to say, all of this hinges on you realizing that. All of this hinges on you understanding that it's the Lord's to do and to save and to will. I love some of the language that he uses because at one point he says, or I think it's the mariners that say, the Lord does what he pleases. And I love that it pleases the Lord that he wants to save. And then in response to that, the Lord speaks to the fish and the fish obeys and and the fish vomits Jonah onto the land. So what do we do with that? I think there's two things. The first one is this. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And that should create both a fear and a freedom for you. Fear not in a bad way, but fear in this this awe of the power of God. What that means is, regardless of what kind of terrible example that you might be, salvation belongs to the Lord. Like the Lord will save. The Lord will rescue. The Lord will redeem. The Lord will pull out of the pit. And so I, I love that because it, it removes the arrogance from us that says, Lord, you need me. Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody that needs you? Because you can get away with some stuff if somebody needs you. If somebody needs you, you can show up late. Like they got to wait on me because they need me. If you're paying for dinner, they can't get mad. You just show up when you show up. Y'all don't pay for dinner. Y'all ain't got no money. Someday when you grow up and you have a job and you get to pay for dinner, you can show up late because you're paying for dinner. There's this reality when somebody needs you, that means they have to take you as you are. But the Lord doesn't need us. The Lord doesn't need me. The Lord's going to transform some of your lives this weekend at camp, and I'm going to have nothing to do with it. We're not going to have a conversation. You're not going to remember anything that I say. It's going to be the Lord moves in his power to transform your heart, regardless of what I do or don't do. And that's that's awkwardly humbling. And so Jonah can't pound his chest for what the Lord's going to do next, because Jonah's this unfaithful example that the Lord saves oftentimes in spite of. But then here's the flip side. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Which means you should have this confidence that whatever the Lord's calling you to enter into, whatever Nineveh he's sending you to, 
that the Lord's going to save. Here's what I love about salvation belonging to the Lord. Like the Lord's not confused by what's going on. Like he's not, he's not here saying, man, I, I'm thinking about saving so-and-so from Morgan Hill. And if your name is actually so-and-so, I didn't know that. I just made that up. <laughs> and wait a minute. What in the name of me is going on in your life right now? I'm shocked that you struggle with sin. I'm shocked that your heart's a little bit cold. I'm shocked that you, like that's not happening. He completely knows you and salvation belongs to him. And he's like, and I want to give that to you. Like there's no surprises for him and he owns salvation. He's saying, I want to make it available to you. I want you to know me in that way. And so salvation belongs to the Lord, regardless of whether we're deserving of it or not. And in case you're wondering, we're not. And so I, I tell you that because even in my own story, there's this mercy of the Lord that I've seen. So I grew up, um, I can't remember not going to church. Um, my mom at first was faithful to bring me and my sister and then uh, after that my dad uh, was saved and began to lead our family in a really faithful way. And so I cannot remember uh, a season in my life where I did not go to church. And then I got into middle school and I just, for whatever reason, thought I was tough and thought, thought I was a thug. Here, here's the thing. Part of being somebody that could live that life is that you need to be able to fight. And I can't. Like, I'm, I'm confident that most of you in this room could take me. <laughs> and so, like, I was trying to live this lifestyle that I wasn't, but I was trying to run as hard as I could from the Lord. And so every opportunity that I had to just lean into sin, I lean into it. My brother-in-law um, had alcohol in his apartment. And so uh, anytime I go to visit him and his sister, I'd wait till they go to sleep and I would try and bust into the cabinet and just, just drink just so I could be rebellious. I tried to find ways that any time that somebody would try to say, hey, but don't you go to church all the time because I was still showing up at church every Sunday to try and distance myself from that. So I tried to use language. I tried to um, engage in relationships. I tried to do everything that I possibly could do to mark out my territory as I'm about that life, even though I wasn't really about that life. And I was doing everything that I possibly could to put as much distance between me and the Lord. I was a Jonah. I was not afraid to tell you that I was running from the presence of God. And I was sitting in church just waiting for it to be over because I couldn't stand it because I, like, like, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And then I remember my sophomore year of high school, sitting in the back of my English class with a young lady named Kristen Bice. And Kristen would just sit next to me and she would watch me do things that weren't faithful to the Lord. And she would just look over at me and she'd say, you know, that's not who you are. I'd be like, Kristen, you need to get out of my business right now. <laughs> and then I remember, because when you're trying to live that way, um, you find out that you become most easily offended when you become the center of your own universe. Because when everything's about you, then everything has to be about you. And so if somebody doesn't live up to the expectations, they've offended and broken you. When somebody cuts you off in traffic, it's because they got a vendetta against you. When you're the center of the universe, everything becomes about you, which makes everything, unfortunately, about you. 
And so in that season, there were things that I was holding against my parents because they weren't giving me what I wanted. There were broken dating relationships that I just felt like those people owed me better. And they had damaged me and wounded me and they needed to grovel back to me to get my forgiveness. And I can remember sitting in youth group one Wednesday night and my youth pastor was talking about the forgiveness of the Lord. Now none of us deserve the forgiveness of the Lord. And he was talking about how we should forgive other people. And I was like, you don't know me, bro. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how people have damaged me. You don't know how people have let me down. You don't know how they have not lived up to my expectations. Who are you to tell me that I ought to forgive other people? And then he said, because the way that the Lord is forgiving you, even though you don't deserve it. And those two things happening in my life at the same time broke me. Like there was no like I'm holding it together because I'm cool and it's Wednesday night. It was like ugly cry. I need Jesus. And for some of you, you need to know that salvation belongs to the Lord. And that mask that you're putting up, that you're too cool for worship and, and too strong for the, to admit what's really happening to you, I just, just want to tell you, that's like, that's like you trying to box with Mike Tyson. You don't know who Mike Tyson is. Um, like, that's like you trying to fight whoever your favorite UFC fighter is. You ain't winning that fight. Like that facade that you've put up in front of God, he's going to push that over. And so my hope for you is that you would have an honest moment. And let me, let me say something to you. Um, we are getting to know each other, but know that I have a love for you as I'm learning to love you. I don't want you to have to sink as far as Jonah did before you realize that salvation belongs to the Lord. I don't want you to have to descend to rock bottom where you feel separated from God and feel like that's his judgment against you because he's just allowed you to have your sin. I want you to even now say, Lord, if salvation belongs to you and forgiveness is for people who are undeserving like me, I need that level of forgiveness. And so tonight we'll have a conversation about what does it look like to receive the forgiveness of the Lord. But I, want to, I just want to pray for you. In a moment, you're going to go back to uh, a breakout session. You're going to have some of these conversations. And maybe the conversation is going to be, man, I do feel separated from God. Or maybe the conversation is going to be, yeah, I'm like where Mike was, where I'm playing the game and I'm here, but I'm not here. But if salvation belongs to the Lord, I want him to push the facade over and I want him to invade my space. And so I'm going to pray for you. And then um, you'll, you'll hear a few more things from Harrison before you guys are released. So let's pray. Lord, I just long for you to defy our expectations. Lord, I, I long for you to show how, because of Jesus, that we don't have to be intimidated to come before you, but we can walk to you asking for your forgiveness because it belongs to you and you generously give it. And so, Lord, for every student and every adult under the sound of my voice, would they know that before this moment and everything after hinges on this, that salvation belongs to you, that there is not one ounce of sin that they've committed that the blood of the cross cannot cover. And there is not one thing that's coming next that what you've done because of the cross and your resurrection that you can't lead them through. And so will you help them to trust you? Lord, I'm begging you, 
Rescue students from rock bottom. Don't let them get to the place where they feel like they've entered into death and judgment and abandonment. But instead, let them even right now, while they're on the edge of it, may they see that you love them and would they turn their hearts towards you. And tonight, would they hear of your mercy and respond to it for the rest of their days. It's in your matchless name I pray. Amen.